Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to DBR Bites, episode number five. You know, it was pointed out to me that DBR Bites sounds a little bit like we think that we suck. <laughs> that is not, that's not why we picked this name for this uh, portion of our podcast. It's because these are little bite-sized nuggets. And today we're going to have a bunch of little bite-sized nibbles. Uh, should probably be DBR nibbles today. Uh, uh, or d'oeuvres, if you will, or d'oeuvres. Yeah, exactly. We have a whole series of stories that we're going to be talking about in in very quick fashion. Um, as you heard just a moment ago, I am joined by Donald Wine uh, on on today's edition of DBR Bites. By the way, I'm Jason Evans. Do we really need to introduce ourselves anymore, Donald? Is that necessary? Yes. Point? <laughs> yes. People need to know. The streets need to know who we are. <laughs> there you go. We're still exactly. getting our name out there. Right. Uh, we're recording this on Friday afternoon. Um, in the middle of the afternoon prior to uh, Duke's big game against Georgia Tech on Saturday. And Donald, just very, very quickly, uh, the, the first of our topics has to be Dariq Whitehead. Uh, we got some very good news. Uh, the good news is not that he um, he's not going to be able to play against Georgia Tech. I, I think it's pretty clear he's going to miss some time. But John Shire said this week that he's not out for the season. And and they you know they they did an MRI. There doesn't appear anything structural wrong in his leg. We had been terrified that this had been a torn ACL or something like that. It does not. Uh, sorry, not ACL. I mean Achilles. It does not appear to be anything like that. Uh, that this is really good news. And the fact that Duke could get this guy back is big. Yeah, and you know when we were talking about it, when we heard the news, and and mind you, initially we were hearing some speculation that it could be a sprained ligament, but we we don't know for sure what the actual injury is. We just know, according to John Shire, that it's not season ending. Uh, but I, I think it flashed back to last year before the season started when uh, A.J. Griffin went down in the practice that I was able to attend. And at that point, they feared the worst. They thought he had done his, you know, tore his ACL and that he was going to be out for an extended period of time. And it turned out to just be, some sort of sprain or, or of some sort, and he was able to come back and have a successful season uh, last year. So this is very good news, and it gives us all a sigh of relief. Obviously, we're going to remain cautious as to, you know, how long he's going to be out. It's going to be – it's clear to me that Duke is not going to give a timetable for his return because, frankly, they may not have one. It, there's a lot of injuries that involve the lower leg where they just say, hey, put it in the boot for a few weeks, and we'll – will evaluate as we go. And we've seen that from Duke. We've seen that from other colleges. We've seen that from NBA players where there is no under, there's no defined timetable. So for the short term, we are, we are glad that we at least have the hope that we are going to see him before the season is out at some point and that he will return to the floor for Duke. You know, I think people may not realize how important Derek Whitehead was becoming to this Duke team uh, in, in ACC play conference games only. And really we're at the point now where I think reflecting too much on pre-conference season may not be all that useful. Reflecting on games that happened in December, early December and November, you know, that's that's two months away now. So just looking at the conference statistics, Dariq Whitehead was Duke's second leading scorer. Dariq Whitehead was had the most three-pointers on the team. Uh, Dariq Whitehead was averaging close to 25 minutes per game. Uh, he was, by the way, hitting 43% of his three-pointers. You know, we have we have talked about, we have lamented the fact that this Duke team has struggled from the perimeter. This this dude was one of the very, very few guys on the team who was getting it done from outside. And missing him is is a really big deal. Donald, just really quick, I think it's easy to, you know, I want to talk about 
his minutes and who gets those minutes while we're waiting for Whitehead to come back. Uh, it, it's easy. Obviously, you can project that Jeremy Roach goes back into the starting lineup uh, for Derek Whitehead and and that Roach probably, uh, you know, Roach is going to be playing close to 30, maybe more than 30 minutes per game. But there's going to be some extra time, a little bit of extra time that is created by by missing Derek Whitehead. What what do you think? Who, who Who's getting a little bit of extra time because of it? Honestly, I think right now, I think the answer we might want to say is Jaden Shute, that he could probably pluck off some of these minutes. But I think in reality is going to be, you know, Ryan Young may get a few extra minutes. And it's not like when I say extra minutes to Ryan Young, he's still, you know, in the 20s as far as minutes are concerned. Derek Lively is going to get more time on the floor. Mark Mitchell is going to get, you know, significant time of that. And then also Jacob Grandison. I think those are the yeah, four guys. Grandison's, Grandison's the guy going to win the most yeah. uh, time from this, uh, from, from this uh, setback for Derek Whitehead. But I think, I don't think we're going much further down the bench than that. Yeah. Grandison had been averaging 16 minutes a game in ACC play. I think he probably gets into the twenties now. Um, the other thing that we have to see, especially in these next couple games is, you know, Jalen Blakes and how much time Jalen Blakes gets, as mm-hmm. a result of his uh, his banged up face, his nose, um, because that you know he he's a guy who could suck up some extra minutes as well. All right, should we move on to the next topic? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so the next thing we have is this: it's just been announced that uh, the NBA has announced their All Star starters. They're not East and West. I mean, they are from the East and West, but they're not divided into East and West teams. You know, there's that whole playground pick'em thing that that uh, Giannis and LeBron will be doing before right before the game starts, which will be a lot of fun, actually. But uh, of the NBA starters, three of them are Dukies. Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum, and Zion Williamson all were named NBA All-Star Game starters. I didn't even realize this. Donald, do you know the the record for the most starters? I'm sorry, not most starters, most players in an All-Star Game from an individual school? It's four, isn't it? Yes. Didn't we have four a couple years ago? We have never had four. We've had three. We've Mm -hmm. never had four. The record is for 2018 Kentucky and 1983 UCLA are the only programs to produce four all-stars in one year. And Duke has three starters. I mean, I don't think we're going to get there this year because Brandon Ingram has been hurt. And so he's not going to get there. Paula Bancaro is probably a season or two away. I mean, Paula's averaging 20 points per game. He's but... probably the best. He's probably the the guy with the best uh, chance of making yes. it for for yeah, sure. But, well, again, because Ingram has been hurt, I think that next mm-hmm. year, if if you if you assume that Kyrie Tatum and Zion, who are all reasonably young, and you know are not like starting to age out of their abilities, if those guys are still going to be all stars in the future, I think Paulo and Ingram are the guys who have the two really good chances to potentially join them. Uh, it's kind of cool, really cool. How yeah, how and, and I, I'll also mention that R.J. Barrett's had a pretty decent season too. I don't He's think it's averaging twenty points per game. Yeah. But it's right there at that cusp where again you're he's probably being, being considered for a reserve role. I don't think he gets it. I think, as I mentioned, I think Paul Van Carroll is probably the guy with the best shot, mainly because of the fact, yes, he's the number one pick uh in last year's draft. He's had a tremendous season, one of the, you know, probably the best season amongst the rookies so far. And also just the star quality that he does possess. He does draw crowds whenever he plays on the road. I think that's those are things that are always considered um when you talk about the all-star game. And also if you think about it. Unfortunately for, for Zion Williams, he's been hurt over the last couple of weeks, and it's a question of whether he will be healthy enough to play 
in the all-star game. Right, we hope right. he will, obviously, but if there's, and, and not to say this is just for Zion, but if anyone gets hurt between now and then, there's the opportunity for the commissioner to name replacements. And I think Paul Bancaro would be one of those replacements if he doesn't make the initial roster. I, you, you, you literally stole this from me. I literally was going <laughs> to say this. I was going to say, if Zion is hurt, I think Paulo makes a lot of sense as a replacement pick because there's that, you know, Duke connection. They play similar positions. Uh, there'd be a I do lot think of, they, you know. I do think they do it by conference until they get the draft that like when they do replacements, I think they do replace, like if a Western player goes down that they do replace it with a Western. Oh, player. you're probably right. I think that's how it still works. It's just the playground setup of how they just draw the teams means you can draw from either conference. Oh, that sucks. Cause I thought Paulo was the perfect replacement for Zion. I think he still is. I just don't think it would be <laughs> necessarily for Zion. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Hey, let's move on to our next topic. As we're taking our nibbles along the way, I want to just briefly mention, because we haven't had a chance to talk about it on this podcast, that uh, Mike Bray is retiring. Uh, I know that news came out like a week ago. We've been busy, folks. What can I tell you? (laughs) A lot of things going on. Yeah, yeah. But we did want to tip our cap to a guy who uh, will always be connected with Duke because of his connection to Coach K and the fact that he was an assistant coach here. Uh, Mike Bray is stepping down at Notre Dame, an incredible, incredible career winning as coach in Notre Dame's history. The thing I wanted to say about it, Donald, just very quickly, you know, there's an incredible line of legendary coaches, you know, coaches who are like, you know, hall of fame level coaches who have stepped aside in the past year. Uh, Coach K, obviously Roy Williams, obviously Jay Wright. And and now Mike Bray. Now, I'm not saying Mike Bray is on the level with those other three guys who all won multiple national titles. But considering what he was doing at a school like Notre Dame, that is not nearly the basketball power that some of these other programs are. What he did was pretty darn impressive. And you have to begin to wonder, like Jim Beheim, Leonard Hamilton, Jim Laranega. These guys who've been part of the ACC forever. Are they you know, next in this line of, of coaching legends who are stepping aside. And and I think, you know, so much has been talked about, about name, image, and likeness in the transfer portal. And that that's driving these coaches, these coaches don't want to deal with this stuff anymore. And that's driving them out of the game. Yeah. I don't know. I, I get the impression that Mike Bray is such a sort of have fun, casual, good guy. I mean, he's got that reputation. One of the best interviews around, He's a guy who's, you know, in 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 news conferences after games, he was always incredibly honest and incredibly funny. Reporters say he's one of the best interviews out there. I don't get the impression that he's someone who's like, oh, this name, image, and likeness stuff is such a pain in the ass. I'm not dealing with that anymore. And he's hanging it up for that reason. And in fact, I'm not even 100% certain he's going to hang it up. I think that he may be leaving Notre Dame and maybe will show up someplace else. He's not he's not Coach K or Roy Williams' age. <laughs> Right, right. But, but I, I do think that there are things that have changed about coaching in recent years that has some of these guys going like, you know what? I've made 20, 30 plus million dollars in my career as a major college basketball coach. Maybe maybe I don't want to deal with this stuff any longer. I know that coaches are way more involved in fundraising than they ever were. I know that because of name, image, and likeness, they have to do sort of a different level, a different kind of fundraising and interaction. And then regarding the transfer portal, I mean, think about this, Donald. It used to be that recruiting meant talking to high schoolers and trying to convince them to come to your school. Now recruiting means 
talking to the players that you already recruited out of high school and making them stick around. It's not easy to do. And Mike Bray, Mike Bray has been great at it. I mean, Notre Dame is not a school that suffered from a lot of transfers. He's brought in some pretty good transfers, but boy, it's just, it's hard to be a college basketball coach at this point. And I don't blame Mike Bray for saying time to pack it up and step aside, at least for a little while. So for me quickly, I I think, you know, Mike Bray is one of the, uh, I don't care about his resume as far as like national championships and final fours and stuff are concerned. I consider him one of the elite coaches in college basketball and he has been for quite a long time. And losing that is uh, is a loss for college basketball. And, and wherever he ends up, if he ends up retiring, or if he ends up going somewhere else, uh, Notre Dame will be the lesser for it because Notre Dame's program was in, in, no, in no small part built on the back of Mike Bray's leadership. So uh, we commend him for that. I, I believe, check me, Jason, I believe he was the first coach to beat uh, from the Coach K tree to beat him in a game. Um, yeah, I believe that is correct. Uh, my uh, he did that when they joined well, the yeah. ACC. So, and he, you know, every time we went to South Bend, it was always it's always a struggle um, when we go to South Bend because of how he has that team ready to play. Now, I will say you were mentioning some of the other coaches that are still around. Remember, Jim Behind actually did retire once. He, he announced his retirement. Yeah. He had a coach in waiting and then his sons Hopkins, decided yeah. to commit to Syracuse and he said, no, I'm going to coach my sons. Um, so he decided to come back and he, and then there was this, the scandal where they had to vacate some wins. And now he's like, Hey, I might stick around for a little while longer, but I think, I don't think that NIL has a lot to do with it. I think these guys are just getting up there and they're like, Hey, this is, it may be coincidental, but I think at the end of the day, these guys are like, hey, I just don't want to get up at 6 a.m. anymore or 5 a.m. or whenever they get up to go to a practice or go on the recruiting trail and do all these little things that you know, they have do become they more- do tape work. They do videotape work until two, three in the morning all the time. Right. Yeah. And then they go to bed for maybe an hour and then they get back up. And sometimes they have cots and, and you know, some people, if when they when they get old, they, they have like actual nice beds in their office because they sleep there during the season enough. And this is not just college basketball. This is college football as well. So yep. I think a lot of these guys, NIL might be the coincidental way to kind of link it to them, but I don't think it has a lot to do with it. I think it's just guys that are trying to, uh, at the end of the day, they're like, Hey, I've done this for a long, 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 long time. And it'd be nice to just wake up at 8am once and not have to worry about my sciatica nerve or something like that. And then I can just make breakfast with and, and enjoy time with my family that I haven't had a chance to do over the last 20, 30, 40, or even 50 years. So uh, if, if that's what Mike Bray wants to do, he's earned it, man. He's he's had a great career, and and hopefully uh, whatever his next path is. And, and honestly, Jason, you mentioned the interview. I'd love to see him on TV if he, if he wants to do that path. I think that'd be a nice role for him. Oh, God, yeah. I, you know, I will say this. It is a, it's a real pity that Mike Bray is going out the way he is with a, with a team that is struggling so mightily and a, a team that is really experienced. Look, I, I love to take credit on here when I'm like, hey, remember I told you in the preseason X or Y would happen? Well, in the preseason, I told you Notre Dame was going to be good, and I was dead, dead wrong about that. It, it is such a pity. And I can't believe that Bray announced he was retiring and his team still can't play worth a damn. They're still losing games to Boston College. And uh, I mean, they, they played NC State close on the road. That's that's a good result for Notre Dame, but, but still, like this – for, for these seniors, super seniors, to be giving this as Mike Bray's send-off, Notre Dame's currently 1-9 in the ACC, 9-12 overall. For this to be Mike Bray's send-off is just 
it's just wrong. It's just a pity. It is what it is. And I think sometimes that's what escalates or at least accelerates uh, someone's desire to, to get out. Yeah. Yeah. We want to do one last thing before we go, just very, very quickly. Uh, go ahead. Take it, Tom. I know you, you really wanted to mention this. Yeah. So, you know, everyone who is a Duke fan who has listened to Duke radio over the last, it feels like a hundred years, but it probably hasn't been that long, but it's been a very long time, decades and decades knew that there was, you know, for a long time, there was one voice of the blue devils and that man was Bob Harris. And he retired a few years ago. And, and we, we were fortunate enough to have him on the podcast uh, when he was, in his last year, I want to say, as the voice of the Blue Devils, yep. called so, uh, hundreds of football games, thousands of basketball games over his career, and was synonymous with Duke basketball for so long. He, uh, unfortunately, has been undergoing some uh, recent uh, health struggles and was diagnosed with uh, with Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's a few years yeah. a few years ago. And apparently, that Alzheimer's has accelerated rapidly to where he needs round the clock care. So um, I know uh, some uh, either friends or, or fa close family or ma family members have uh, set up a GoFundMe. You can go find that uh, on the internet. It's everywhere um, if, that you can find it. I believe the DBR uh, front page has a link to it. But uh, we just want to send our well wishes to Bob Harris. He's a, a truly one of the best dynamite men um, that has been around uh, the Duke program for a long time and, and really has been, again, all of those, you know, those names and those those catchphrases and just those moments that we've shared as Duke fans over the last you know 40 years the how sweet it is that voice was Bob Harris so uh, I really just want to send how well wishes to him and his family and uh hope that he can uh you know maintain because Alzheimer's is a, is a, just a terrible disease and uh I know how how much of a struggle that probably is for him and his family um I I lost my father to Alzheimer's and uh it is a, a dreadful, awful, awful disease that robs you of who you are, of uh, your memories and your personality and everything. And it's, it, it, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I certainly feel terrible that it is impacting Bob Harris, who is someone who's brought so much joy to so many Duke fans in so many different ways over the years. So yeah, if, folks, if you're out there and you feel like uh, supporting this GoFundMe, we we think that's a wonderful thing. Supporting the Alzheimer's Foundation, there there are certainly a number of different ways you can honor Bob Harris's memory, and uh, th this this is absolutely the time to do it. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us here on this latest edition of the edition, I should say, of the Duke Basketball Report Bites, the DBR Bites for Donald Wine. I am Jason Evans. Reminder: I will be at the Georgia Tech game tomorrow, Saturday, when we are playing the Yellow Jackets here in Atlanta. And if you want to come on down to the varsity, if you don't know what the varsity is, I, I just can't help you out. I, I, what do you, what do you have? What do you have? What do you have? Yeah. Nothing I can do for you. If you don't know what the varsity is, come to the varsity at two o'clock an hour before the game. I'll be hanging out there meeting other Duke fans. We'll be all chatting and having a good time and sharing uh, orange Julius's and, and, uh, and peach pies, fried peach pies. Mm, and and bring back a win, please bring back a win. I will do my best to bring back a win. Yes. We need to bring back a victory. Again, for Donald, for Sam, who is not here with us, I'm Jason. Here's the Duke Band to play us out, play us out, and take us home.